Oh, the most hilarious detail about that, too, that I, I didn't mention before is that he gave me magnums. <laughs> This is Plastic Urns, and that was Matt with his rather eclectic Birds and the Bees story. Matt is an avid cyclist and skier, brews his own beer, and is what you might call tall, light, and handsome. He's also currently getting his PhD in chemical biology, a degree which may be able to do more for him when it comes to the birds and the bees than his dad did. My dad's name was David. He went by Dave. People called him Big Dave. No joke. Big Dave? Yeah. Was he a large man? Yeah, he was six foot six. So, okay. Yeah. That counts. Yeah. The, the way that I would describe my dad is, uh, and our relationship, is that he was like an incredibly caring guy, but also a little bit awkward in how he implemented that at times. How so? So an example of, you know, his dedication and the fact, like how caring he was is that he came to like all of my sports events. He was there for every big moment. You know, I... I Never had a memory of looking out into the crowd and not seeing him. So he was extraordinarily supportive in that way. But when it comes to like some of the the, the milestones that you have as a parent, uh, I think he stumbled a little bit <laughs> at times. I think he didn't really, I don't think he ever fully grasped how to interact with me as an adult, you know, a young adult becoming an adult. Yeah. And I think the the prototypical example of that is the birds and the bees talk. <laughs> And his version of doing that was, I think this was like maybe my freshman or sophomore year of, of high school when I was first going out for like a homecoming dance or something. Mm-hmm. And he sort of sat me down and just gave me some condoms and was like, you be safe out there, son. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like no other no other details. No explanation of how to use them nope. or when. Just Nope. No, no discussion of, you know how to be safe or anything of that. Just here's what you'll need. You can figure it out. You'll be good. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely one that uh, that sticks in my mind. Oh, the most hilarious detail about that, too, that I, I didn't mention before is that he gave me magnums. <laughs> He's like, Pump you up, son. I mean, I guess if you're, you might as well go with the more one-size-fits-all option yeah, than the alternative. right? Like, he probably thought it through. <laughs> or I'm just far outside of the pedigree of my family, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have any f- favorite stories of Big Dave? Yeah, I mean, most of my fondest memories of my dad are uh, from when I was really young, grown up. We bonded a lot over spending time outdoors and biking together, so... The one that I told when I delivered his eulogy was about uh, a big bike crash that I had had. Just the memory of him like coming out to physically pick me up oh, wow. off the track. So I think I just look back on that time, you know, through the eyes of a young kid who was trying out something new. Like I had decided that I wanted to get into bike racing because. He was into it a little bit, but I had my own take on it. I, d- I wanted to do BMX rather than, like, road riding. So that was my first, like, real experience, I think, just sort of exploring a passion, and he really facilitated that. So 
have a lot of fond memories of that time together. A lot of my sentimental things with my dad get brought back to biking. Would you ride with him a lot? Yeah. You know, and, and when we stopped riding together, I think that was definitely a big change in our relationship. Uh, when I when I decided that I wanted to do BMX, it's like it's something that we started doing every weekend together. And uh, we would travel nationally for competitions. Oh, wow. Would, um, was he riding BMX too? He got into it. Oh, um, and actually broke his hip doing it. Oh. And that was the catalyst that ended up having us phase phase out of of doing it. I rode BMX from the period when I was like four or five until I think I was like 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and started playing basketball after that was kind of a natural transition. But it's a really big part of our lives. Uh, like I said, traveling all over the place for national events. And, you know, my dad was, uh, as an engineer, a pretty inventive guy. Uh, so he actually figured out a way to, to be able to bring my bike for free on the plane without having to to pay for it by uh, getting a golf bag that could <laughs> fit the bike when he disassembled it. And then he would like put the, he would take the two wheels and put them in a suitcase and then the frame and the other stuff for the bike would go in this golf bag. <laughs> um, so we got to fly all over the country without having to pay for a bike bag. That gives you a little bit of a window into the kind of dad, <laughs> kind of guy my dad was. My dad was bipolar and struggled for a long time with depression and suicidal ideation. And I think actually did a really remarkable job of sort of keeping me out of it for a long time. But right when I left to go to college was when he really started to struggle with that um, and fell into a very deep depression and struggled with suicidal ideation and was in actually a treatment facility for dealing with his depression when he took his life. And how old were you then? This was right before my senior year of college. How did, how did you find out that he had died? It's, it's interesting. I, so because he had struggled with suicidal ideation, you know, it was something that I had not necessarily expected Mm-hmm. to happen, but I was really prepared for it. And so yeah. I think I was attuned to, you know, if something felt like it was wrong when I was talking to my mom or my sister, that something might be off. And I think I knew when I got a text from one of my friends who was actually not in SF that summer, like asking whether everything was okay, because he had gotten like a text from my mom asking about me. And that was the night before my mom and my sister flew up and, like, came to tell me. So they actually, like, came and told me in person rather than calling me over the phone, which, you know, they're very thoughtful people. But, I mean, as soon as I saw them, I knew because I had sort of put that together in my head and they didn't have to say anything for me to know what had happened. And so that was just before your senior year? Yeah, this was – I had just finished my internship – uh, and I was still living my in my apartment in the city. Mm-hmm. So it was about a month before the start of our senior year. Did you go back to school on a normal cadence then? I did. thought a lot about that. I think the main reason that I did that was if I had stopped school at that point, it would have, I think, really changed my trajectory. I had a job lined up. You know, my major chemie, you can't like 
skip a quarter during your senior year and graduate on time. And right. in some ways, I think it would have been good for me to take some time to process. In other ways, I think it helped to give me strength to like continue as planned. And some of that was sort of in defiance, like think there was some anger there that I was even put in that situation. But uh, I think there was also some recognition that, you know, my, my dad was like the provider for our family. My mom worked as well, but he worked really hard to be able to put me through four years of Stanford. And by seeing that through, there was some meaning there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of doing right by his hard work to allow me to, to do that. Yeah. And th- I mean, the other piece was you know, when I when I left for college, it was kind of an escape from what had started to go on in the house. Like, so when did you become aware of his depre- of his challenges with depression and suicidal ideations? Right before I started college. Okay. College was actually kind of an a, escape for me from that environment at home to sort of mm-hmm. go out and become my own person and not have to be sort of around his dynamic with my mom and all of the challenges that were occurring at that time as he was getting more and more ill. Yeah. that I think that's also a piece of why I didn't want to go home right after he died because I had that attachment to school as kind of an escape, but also right. like, you know, my sister was very grief struck and was living with my mom at that time. And there were a lot of inter- like, you know, people's, people's grief manifests in different ways and it, it wasn't working well at the beginning between all of us. So I think I kind of needed to have that space again to be myself for a bit. I get that. I mean, like when my when my mom died, she didn't have a spouse. I was her only child. And then it was like only like, there were people who helped set up a funeral, things like that. But it was like mm-hmm. only me dealing with my emotions. When my dad died, brother, sister on my dad's side were there stepmom is there, stepsisters is there, like all these people that I kind of felt accountable for. It's just that I didn't have space to like do my own thing. And it started to like, I could feel like an internal anger starting to percolate and needing to like get away and just like do Bryce things for a while. Mm-hmm. So I can, I, I understand the urge of like, it'll be more sensical if we are distant right now. Yeah. What was it like being in school? I guess in, in two ways. First, what was it like being in school, kind of carrying the weight of knowing that your dad has suicidal tendencies? Yeah. Um, when you say in school, like before he died. Yeah. Yeah. It was really tough. And I, I say that for two reasons. One was like the need to keep that secrecy in order to sort of make him, to do right by him, right? Like, yeah. But to kind of the the stress that that created for me, like on top of just, you know, worrying about him while I was away, I felt like I couldn't be my full self around friends, like especially freshman year when you're trying to open up to people and talk to them. That wasn't something that I shared with a close friend in my freshman dorm at, until I think the winter break, like the first person I told. Yeah. The only person that knew like really in detail about his struggles with that was my my high school girlfriend and she and I had actually decided to break up before college just to sort of make it easier but we as most people end up doing had stayed in contact uh, but like even my you know I, I couldn't really talk to my high school friends about it because they were a part of our community and so that 
sort of desire or need to keep the secret was really tough because I, I felt like I had this big thing that was a part of me and that I was struggling with, but that I couldn't talk to too many people about. How many how many people did you end up telling? Or how many, maybe not telling, but how friends, many people knew? Yeah, Probably less than 10 by the time that he died. Oh, wow. Like less than 10 close friends that I had told about it because, you know, it was something that he was still very ashamed of, mm. something that he hadn't even talked to a lot of his close friends about. I think, he, you know, there's so much stigma around mental illness and suicide. So, yeah, like looking back on that, it was really tough. You know, there's actually some of my friends who I had told and came and visited, you know, he like wanted to like talk to them about it because he was, you know, embarrassed that they knew that he was struggling with it. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's, not, that's not appropriate. Yeah. They're, they're not judging you. It's okay. So I think that's something that he really struggled with. And it's really sad in retrospect, too, because I think opening up about that would have been an outlet for him to be able to start to accept himself more and to yeah. process it with people. So, I, I have a running theory that kind of continues to be confirmed that a lot of people with dads born somewhere in the, like, in the 40s through 60s-ish had tenuous relationships with their fathers mm-hmm. because their fathers had tenuous relationships with themselves. It sounds like this is this has some similar elements of it's a hard relationship to have when someone isn't sure of their relationship with themselves. Absolutely. I think that that's pretty accurate because my dad, you know, we had a really close relationship, really loving uh, and really open relationship when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and sort of became my own person, I always felt that he was unsure about how to interact with me. Mm-hmm. And that that definitely increased as his illness got worse. And, you know, he, he was, I think, trying to protect me, but also feeling embarrassed about talking about that sort of stuff with me. So, Do you know why his illness got worse? Because it, as you described it, it seems like it was like, Kind of steady and then yeah. more aggressive decline. Yeah. So I think there's sort of a, a number of things that happened that contributed to deteriorating mental health on his part. First off is his own father actually committed suicide. Mm. And that was obviously an incredibly traumatic thing for him. Uh, he had to deal with a lot of the like literal physical cleanup of helping to clean out his apartment. And his dad shot himself. So there was like, you know, blood on the floor. So I think that was an cr- incredibly traumatic thing for him to go through. And then I think his his sort of work responsibilities were increasing at that time, and he was traveling more. And, you know, getting back to your point about being a little unsure of himself, I mean, he was a completely self-trained uh, engineer. He didn't have an engineering degree, but he worked in an engineering role. His title oh, wow. was principal engineer. So I think he always had a bit of a chip on his shoulder there. So that increasing responsibility, I think, gave him a lot of anxiety. Right. And then he also had a couple of falling outs with uh, close friends before that happened. And and I think part of that was probably because he wasn't sharing fully with them. Like, not the actual reason that they fell out, but I think that contributed to the decline in those relationships. So with all of those things together, you know, when he really started struggling with that ideation and, you know, wasn't comfortable talking to close friends and really having a support network other than our nuclear family and my mom. I think that's kind of what snowballed. 
how did your relationship with him change after the first time he attempted? You know, before that, we hadn't been crazy close in high school. You know, I had mentioned that he, I don't think, really had figured out how to connect with me as an adult. I think the main way that it changed is just you could feel that he had shame around what he was struggling with. And we didn't we didn't talk about it explicitly one-on-one with one another. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been really good just to normalize being able to speak about it because I think he sort of had to just go through that himself. I think he was relying a lot on my mom, but, you know, not being able to speak authentically to your adult child about what you're struggling with has got to be isolating. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely changed it in that way. And I think it contributed to his social anxiety around meeting my college friends and stuff. You know, he already had social anxiety before that, but I think feeling like people in the room knew what he was going through, even though he hadn't talked to them about it, was probably pretty tough for him at times. So it definitely changed that dynamic. Do you have a weirdest place you cried? Or weirdest reason you cried after he died? Yeah, um... Music is definitely a big one for my dad. Uh, We had lots of different artists that were, and when I say we, I mean like me and my sister, because my dad would drive us to school every day. Yeah. And he would always have the radio on in the morning or an album or something like that. So um, he also had kind of an eclectic taste in music. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So specific bands are like very associated with him for me because... Mm -hmm. I don't hear them as much in other contexts. I do remember sometime during senior year of college, Man on the Moon by R.E.M. Do you know that song? You might have to sing it for me. (laughs) If you believe they put a man on the moon. Yeah, that song. Yeah. Um, He really liked the album that that was on uh, and was really into the backstory of that song as well. So I knew that song quite well. And I think it was... It was in some some party someone was playing, like, you know, throwbacks from the 90s or something, and that song came on. And when those memories get triggered, it really takes you out of the moment. Yeah. You know, I don't remember exactly what my reaction was then, but that feeling is definitely something that sticks with you. Um, a more recent one, one of my new roommates in the place that I moved into, he whistles kind of like instead of a mouth whistle he uses a tooth whistle you know where you, mm. people go like yeah instead of like and my dad used to do that and you know it'd been over five years from his passing when i moved into this place but as soon as i heard that whistle from my roommate he was just like in the kitchen making some dinner you know the first or second night that i was there and i had to just like go back upstairs and sit down in my room for a bit <laughs> You know, does he still do the tooth whistle? He does. He does. He still does. It. I haven't told him about it, oh. but it makes me think of my dad every time. God, what a thing to be thrust into. Yeah. Did his death change your relationship with your mom at all? Yeah, I, I think it's changed my approach to my relationship with her because I recognize how 
like special that is to sort of become an adult and start to have more of a friendship relationship with your parents. Mm -hmm. And I am very envious of friends who have the opportunity to do that with both of their parents. Yeah. You know, I've, during the pandemic, I've gotten into road riding, something that I hadn't done before in the past. And I absolutely love it. It's a fantastic outlet for me. And, you know, sometimes when I'm like biking down the backside of Hawk Hill and it's like a particularly beautiful day, I will think of my dad and actually talk to him and, you know, say like, I wish you were here, wish we could do this together. So I think it's caused me to be more intentional about trying to have experiences like that with my mom. Yeah. You know, she and I didn't do this all together, but like uh, before I started grad school, I, I took a a trip out to Europe and I like met up with her. She was on a separate trip and we traveled a little bit together, you know, and when you're, when you're 24, usually you don't want to go on a one-on-one trip with an older parent. (laughs) Sure. But I think knowing that I could sort of have a special experience with her in that way, you know, if if I hadn't lost my dad, I guess uh, I I would have been thinking less about, you know, how I can make memories specifically with her. Are there, like, have you felt your dad's presence at all? You mentioned that you would speak to him when, that you, that you do speak to him when writing. Have you had other moments like that or where you have felt his energy in any way? Yeah. I think the the most sort of vivid one is actually when we spread his ashes. Um, so we scattered them in Yosemite off the top of uh, a hike called Cloud's Rest uh, that looks down into the valley. And it's a like, very majestic scene and right after we spread his ashes, um, there were there were like two ravens that were around there, and they were like sort of circling as we were getting ready to spread his ashes. And my mom and my sister and I were sort of sitting after we had spread them, and this one raven like basically landed right next to us and was just sort of sitting there and like looked at each of us and then just got up and flew. Hmm like literally into the sunset. Wow. And yeah, that, I, I got chills there when that happened. So uh, honestly, a, a lot a lot of the times that I feel sort of that, that chill feeling, you know, um, recognizing or feeling like he's with me is when I'm outdoors doing something, exploring. Mm. Or like we were talking about before, listening to specific music. Gotcha. Have you felt that with ravens since? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's something that I I think about sometimes when I see them. Uh, if one, like, randomly lands near me, I'll be like, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and part of that is guided a little bit by, by my mom. My mom is a little more mystical, spiritual, um, you know, Sometimes will call me and be like, is everything okay? I feel like I felt something that things are off or something like that. And she talked a lot about that raven. And also uh, after my dad's dad had died, um, sort of a similar thing again with a raven. And so her her read on what had happened after we scattered my dad's ashes was, was that it was both of them there together. Yeah. Thank you so much to Matt, to Brian Pedersen for the support, and to Coco Brudden for the music. Get stoked for next week, where we talk with someone about something. Don't know who yet, but I promise it'll be good. As always, tell your friends about us, do cool things, 
And if you liked it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.